sort of getting there. Well, uh, we in our family are totally ready for Christmas. We, uh, we, we braved uh, Sonoma County's finest yesterday. We drove up to uh, cut our own tree down. I don't know if you've done that in a while, but you should. You drive to these little farms and uh, you chop down a tree and uh, you get a tree for double what you get at Target, and it doesn't look as good. It's awesome. Um, but it's a family experience, and we're all together, and we're taking pictures, and, uh, and it's a lot of fun. So we finally got our tree up. We have uh, firewood for our fire. We uh, went to uh, Trader Joe's and have the little advent calendars there. You know, those things, you open them up, get some chocolate. And uh, tonight we have our advent event and uh, Christmas parties, and it is just, it is Christmas time at our house. And uh, and my kids know it too, and I, and I don't know if you have little kids or if you've been around little kids, they know what the purpose of Christmas is. This whole baby Jesus thing, what Advent, no. It's about what present they are going to get. And the deal is, I'm the pastor, I'm the pastor of children and students, so it's like, if my kids don't play ball here, like, what am, like this is, people are judging me, you know? If I can't get my kids to know the true meaning of Christmas, then, you know, there's no hope for you guys. So I am on it. I'm on my kids. We play little games. We like go, all right, so why do we love Christmas so much? And they go, oh, and they go, oh. Uh, Jesus' birthday? All right, and then we like bribe him with stuff, and we'll, we'll play games like, let's come up with 10 facts that you know about Christmas, and uh, we'll see, you know, we'll test them and we'll quiz them. And I thought, you know, for the first couple weeks here, we were doing really good. I mean, I am like in my kid's grill every day, all day. Um, you know, they wake up in the morning, they're having a little Advent chocolate, and it, no, it's not chocolate before breakfast. We are preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ, and they're like, you know, whatever, dad, eating it. So I'm doing, I'm working overtime because I don't want you to judge me if you ever get a hold of my kids, but last night, uh, we were all driving. My family and Mary Shimon, we were off doing something, and, uh, and we're t- somehow we got on the conversation of what we're really looking forward to about Christmas, and Mary shares, like, this thing, like, about what God is doing in her heart. I mean, it was awesome. And, uh, and my kids go, oh, we're sharing what we're doing for Christmas? My son steps in, well, I would like a Hogwarts Lego set for $79.99, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, uh, and then my daughter goes, and I want water guns. And Kana, what is up with water guns? Uh, we don't know. But there they are. They have this opportunity. There's this moment. We're talking about God showing up. And uh, my kids go, oh, we're talking about Christmas. Here's what I want. Saturday morning cartoons, hosing our family. We are like, we are, it's no go at our house. So if you ask my kids what's up with Christmas, they know. It is about presence, and it really is, right? We are gearing up, we are buying stuff, and uh, we are, everything we're doing is pointing towards Christmas morning where we're going to open presents. And the bummer is, after about 30 minutes after Christmas, we're done. The presents are over, the kids aren't even that happy with their toy, or the one toy they really liked was five minutes old now, and they're on the, it, right? The event is over, and then they're all waiting for the next thing. And I can already see this thing happening in my kids, and I've seen it lived out in my own life, where, okay, Christmas, we're all gearing up a whole month, Advent, Advent, Christmas, Christmas, we have it. And then it's like, oh, but it's someone's birthday coming up next, and so then we, so we turn our attention towards that event. Something's coming, something's coming, oh, we get to Christmas. I mean, to that person's birthday. Oh, and then school's going to be out pretty soon. So if we can just get to the end of school, it'll be summer. And then summer shows up, Phew. But then, you know what, halfway through summer, everyone's all bored all the time. Have you noticed this? Oh, we just want to get back to school. Not, not for school, but for our friends. So we go back to school. And then it's like the next thing. Oh, if I, once I get to middle school, then my life will be complete. Oh, no, once I get to high school. No, once I get to college. Once I get a job. Once I get married. Once I have a kid. Once my kids move out. Once I retire. Once I die. At some point, it's all over, right? But I can already see when my little kids, that they're building this, this rhythm where they gear up. They get all excited to prepare for this event. But then the event's over, and then what? 
And what I think what happens is we begin to train our kids, at least I've experienced this in my own life, that we gear up and we prepare for events, and then when events come and go, we end up getting disillusioned or disappointment, disappointed, right? If I didn't get the gift or that gift wasn't as satisfying or whatever, the, the summer wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be, then we get bummed out. And uh, what we're going to look at this morning is this idea that we want to wait. Advent is a season of waiting. We're preparing. We're longing for the coming of Christ. We're waiting for Christmas. But if we don't wait in the right way, if we aren't preparing in the right way, I think we're going to be disappointed and we're going to be disillusioned because after so many times of waiting and having that thing show up and having it not change our lives dramatically, um, it gets sad. And so we want to wait in the right way. We want to figure this out. And um, so this morning we're going to take a look at a passage. And as you know, we're going through um, this adventure theme. You can tell by our very Christmassy slide. It's Indiana Jones, which kind of says Christmas all over it. And, um, and we're going through, uh, what are we going through? Exodus, which, excuse me, which is very Christmassy as well. And uh, so this morning, we are going to read one of my favorite Advent passages out of the book of Exodus. And uh, we're going to see if somehow we can get from, uh, from there to Christmas. So let, let me pray for us, and you can pray for me, and we'll see if we can get there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, thank you so much, so much for the gift to be together with friends and with family. I thank you that uh, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle and chaos and family drama and all the things that are distracting us, God, that we get to come and have a moment to recognize that all those things are not about us, that our story is actually about your story. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts, that we would hear from you this morning, that you would tweak us in some sort of way and you continue to mold us and shape us into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 6. So if we want to wait, and we want to wait appropriately, we need to realize that um, we wait, that the biblical way of waiting is not waiting for punctuated events, right? The biblical idea when God says, I'm going to do this thing, and then uh, we just wait for God to do that thing, it's always they're markers, but we're never really waiting for this one event for it all to be over, over. And, um, and we're going to see in Exodus, you'll be surprised how we get there, how God uses Moses and this one punctuated event just to uh, tell the story of God. So here we are, Exodus chapter 6, verse 28, and it says this. So now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to them, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything that I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of the country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonder in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with a mighty act of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites." And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right, you see my challenge. Well, so the deal is we don't wait for these punctuated events, that actually true biblical waiting is this idea that we live more fully into the kingdom of God. 
Because what we see in this passage of Moses is Moses about to deliver the people out of, um, out of Egypt. This idea, they've been waiting for a long, long time. For 400 years, the people of, uh, of Israel have been slaves in Egypt, and they've been waiting to be delivered to go into this promised land. Moses is 80 years old. He's been waiting 80 years for God to show up and deliver the people out of Israel. And there's been all these dramatic stories that we've been looking at, um, looking at over our series, and now this is the moment. This is like the speech right before the moment when they're going to go and be delivered. Um, I don't know if you remember that movie uh, Braveheart, um, but it was Mel Gibson. He had blue on his face and kilts and skirts and high, lots of thigh. And um, I wanted to show this clip, but you couldn't because there was all this bad language, and I want to keep my job for at least through Christmas. And, um, but the deal is, he's on this horse, and they're getting ready to, for some battle, and right, all these guys are lined up with kilts and blue on their face, and like, ah! And Mel Gibson's on his, on his horse, and he's running around, and he's like a short, you know, you know, Mel Gibson's short, but he's short, so they have like a special horse for him, so he doesn't look short. And he's riding up and down, going, with bad words and freedom somewhere in there. And, and they're screaming because what they're doing is they're firing up their army because at some point they're going to go and run and kill everybody, right? And they're getting them all fired. This is the moment they've been waiting for and they're going to go do it. And if you're not really an action film person, you're more of a sports movie guy. Uh, there's that movie a while ago with Miracle or any other sports thing. At halftime, the coach comes in and is like, all right, here's the deal. I don't pay attention to whatever happens. This is more the emotion of it, so that's what I'm trying to convey with the, but you know what happens? They just, they give you all the stuff, and then everyone goes, yeah, we're going to do it. And then they go out and they win the game, and that's what the movies, the ones that they lose, they don't make movies about those guys. Well, that's what's happening right here. The Israelites are finally going to be delivered. They've been waiting. They've been longing. They've been waiting for a deliverer, and finally, Moses and Aaron are going to do it. They're 80 and 83, and Moses is like, okay, this is it. This moment, I'm going to come in, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and I'm going to lay my hand on judge, on, to, and judge them, and the whole world will know that I am God, and you are my people, and you will be delivered. It's this awesome, awesome story. And if you've ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, where I get most of my theological education, it's a great story. And then they cross the Red Sea, and then it's over. But if you've ever read your Bible or are familiar with it, you know that this is just one tiny, dramatic but it's punctuated event in the whole story of God. Because the whole story actually begins way farther back. It begins almost um, 500 years before with Abraham. God gives this vision to Abraham and says, listen, you're going to be a dad. You're going to be father of this great nation. I'm going to give you this land, and it's going to be great. Abraham says, great, but I have no kids. And Abraham waits and waits. Sure enough, he does have a kid um, and then has a large family, but no, definitely not a nation. Um, but through his kids, he has Joseph, uh, his grandson, and uh, Joseph, God uses Joseph to get God's people out of Egypt, in, I mean, out of Israel or Palestine into Egypt because there's this gigantic famine. And so the story of God begins in Palestine, goes to Egypt, and then they end up being enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And this whole time, they have this picture that, God, we're your people, we're your prized possession, we have this land for you, and we're slaves. And so Moses comes on the scene and God's finally ready to deliver them, and he delivers them from Egypt. But that is only a marker in the whole story of God. It's this one moment, because what happens is they, what happens, they cross the Red Sea, not into the Promised Land, into the desert. And they don't just like hang out in the desert and go, okay, we're just going to you know, hang out here and then go in the Promised Land. They're there for 40 years. For 40 years they're in the desert. Another generation lives and dies before they go in the Promised Land. Then they spend generations of people, you know, time wiping out people, trying to figure it out, and there's kings and all this myster mysterious stuff that happens all pointing in some dramatic way that, move, that they don't have movies for, so it's hard to understand, um, to where we finally get to Jesus. 
Because the whole story of Scripture, God's people, the people of God, this big picture of being slaves to sin, being delivered, all point to Jesus. And there's this passage in Luke, excuse me, in Luke, where there's this guy, Simeon, and it says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, and he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought the child Jesus um, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. Now what's amazing is Simeon is part of this huge, long story. For almost 2,000 years, the people of God have been waiting for this Messiah, for, the, for God's kingdom to show up. And Simeon was waiting too. He was this devout man. He wasn't just waiting, wandering around. He was a devout and righteous man, which meant he put himself in a position to hear from God. And God actually spoke to him and said, you are going to see the Lord's Messiah. How cool is that? His whole life, this old religious devout man, God says, you're going to see him. And he does. He goes into the temple and he sees this little baby. And he says, this is it. This is the Lord's Messiah, the sovereign one of God, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people, Israel. Now, if you think about it, it's very dramatic because it's Christmas but this is an awful story. He's been waiting for the Lord's Messiah. God says, you're going to see him. And who does he see? An eight-day-old baby. He doesn't see the Messiah. He doesn't see God's people coming in and kicking out the Romans and showing up. He sees this little baby. He has this marker, which is dramatic and which is amazing. But it is not the whole story. Because the whole story is it was 30 more years till that baby became a man and did the public ministry of Jesus and 33 years until he died on the cross. And then it was 10 more years until Acts 10 when uh, Cornelius, a Gentile, becomes saved and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And this prophecy that, that Simeon gives says, listen, you are going to be a light to the Gentiles. Forty years later, now the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit and are now part of the purpose and kingdom of God. And it's 2,000 years since then, this little chubby kid goes to Westminster Woods, and some lady says, do you want to become a Christian? I say, yes, I do. And I walk down, I throw my little stick into a fire, and I became a Christian. The end. No, it's not the end. These are just markers along this huge, long story. Because that, who I was in third grade and what God did in me was just the beginning of who God is doing, of what God is doing in me now as an adult and was going to continue to do. And so the deal is if we want to wait, we cannot just be in the habit of waiting for these customs and for these markers, which I admit I do all the time. Just get me to Christmas. Just get me to my birthday. Just get me to graduation. Just get me till Art retires. Whatever the thing is, right? Just, I'm just kidding. It starts... Right? Just get me there. But that is not what God wants for us. If we do that, we're going to be disappointed and disillusioned. The deal is that we want to wait in a way that is actually a way that we're part of the game. Every day is part of God preparing our hearts for the kingdom of God. And when I looked through Scripture, I found this really great picture of how in the world we're supposed to do that. And uh, it's an actual, it's an illustration of running. And I felt all bummed out. I'm like, I don't want to do running. I'm tired of the running thing. It's my only thing. Uh, it's Jeff Steele, but he's hurt and old now, so he doesn't even run anymore. I didn't want to rub it in. And, um, but it's what scripture uses, so I'm going to go with it. Okay? So it says, how in the world, um, we're already through all that. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't help you out again, Tracy. Um, so the deal is, how in the world are we supposed to prepare? How do we live a life where we are preparing for this kingdom of God living? Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So if we want to know how do we wait, in this Advent season, we're gearing up for God to show up. Well, God's already here. God already showed up. This is a rhythm. It's a ritual. It's a, it's a reminder that we want to be prepared. We want to be preparing for the kingdom of God to show up, and we want to do our part. And I love this part. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and you go, well, that's therefore, obviously, is in the middle of a thought. So you look back, and you realize all of he- Hebrews chapter 11 is this litany of faithful people, of, of Abraham, of Moses, of the prophets, people over and over again who lived faithfully, who stood up in their time, in their place, in their marker, and, and showed up and did what God called them to do. And it goes all the way to verse 39. It says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received um, what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So all these people did their thing and part of the story, and they're longing. They're, they're in this gigantic stadium with millions of saints who have gone before us going, we did our part. We ran the race. We did the kingdom of God, and now it is on you. They said they are waiting for us for it to be perfected in us. And by us, it's not perfected in me, Ben Kearns. It's perfected in us, God's people. And so if we want to understand how to do this thing, we need to realize, first of all, that the race is not about me. Right? God's story is not about me. The second it's all about me, then I am disappointed. I am disillusioned. Christmas didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Whatever the deal is, and I get all messed up. But the deal is we are part of this huge, enormous story. The kingdom of God is this gigantic tidal wave that is happening, and we are part of it. And so if we think our drop is so amazing and so important, and whatever's happening with me is the end-all, be-all, well, we're going to be in a lot of trouble because everyone's dot, everyone's drop of water feels the exact same way. But together, we as the people of God are part of this enormous story, and it is our time to run our lap with millions of saints watching us. So the first thing we need to understand is that we need to just know that this race— is just not about us. And you know this is the case, too, if you reflect on any moment, because all the things that you want that satisfy you, the things that if I can just get this, your life will be complete, you know those never work out, right? I mean, last spring I so wanted an iPad. I was all messed up about it. I got my iPad, and all it's done is means I I spend more time in the bathroom. Nothing fundamentally (laughs) has changed in my life. Like, it's just this thing because that I thought if I just get to it, Right? And that's just a simple illustration. But we all have those things. If I can just get here, then I'll be fulfilled. But you're fulfilled for a day, for a month, maybe. We are broken people. And so we realize that we are not, our story has to be so much more than ourselves. We are part of this gigantic story, the kingdom of God. So the first thing we have to do is realize the race is not about us. Excuse me. The second thing is, um, it goes on to say that we must throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. When we run a race, the picture is that sin is this thing. It latches onto us. It slows us down. And for me, I know this isn't true because I've watched The Prince of Egypt and I've been to seminary, and I know that God isn't like this, but in my mind, I still think that sin is don't do this. If I do it, at some point I'm going to overstay God's welcome and his patience and he's going to zap me. And if he doesn't zap me, he's going to zap my family or something awful is going to happen and I'm just waiting for the chips to fall because I am a screw-up and I, I've sinned in my life and God's going to finally like put me in my place. I'm waiting for that moment. Now, if you read scripture, that's never the picture we get. That's not at all who God is, but that's this, this sinking feeling that I have inside of me all the time. 
But this picture of sin is not this picture of God going, you idiot. This picture of sin is just simply a diagnostic test that we are sinful and broken and selfish people. Sin, what it does is it covers our eyes, it covers our ears, so we can't hear or see what God is doing. It's like these blinders. Like if you've seen those horses with the blinders on, sin just narrows our focus so that, all, that, so that we become the center of everything. And if we are going to hear what God is doing, if we're going to realize the, the purpose of God, the kingdom of God, not about us, it's about this gigantic thing, and plus God's invisible, so it takes a little bit of subjective, you know, this as well. We have to take the, the junk out of our ears. We have to open our eyes. And when we, sin is that thing. So we have to confess our sin. We have to own our sin and go, God, I am a rebellious person. I have messed some stuff up. Please forgive me. Please transform me. Please heal me. And the weird thing is, is when we, have, when we have less sin in our life, when we're dealing with our sin, we actually can hear from God. I was invited to be a part of this visioning team for my friend Phil. He's starting this nonprofit here in the Bay Area, in Marin County. It's this amazing thing. And, uh, but during this like, kind of transition time, he said, hey, I need some people who are going to stand with me and pray their guts out and hear from God because we can't hear all by ourselves. And all of a sudden to go, okay, this day I'm going to fast and these are the days I'm going to pray, all specifically for this thing, this weird thing happens. All of a sudden, God shows up. All of a sudden, God says stuff. God's directing us. And all of a sudden, we as a group go, this might be the thing that God has for us. Because we've unplugged our ears. We've opened our eyes. And now we're open to what God might have for us. Sin makes it all about us. So imagine we're at this gigantic stadium. Millions of saints looking down at us. It is your turn to run the track. It is our turn as Mern Covenant to run the track. And we're all excited. And you just kind of get up and you go into the locker room and you go to the bathroom, get a massage, Go to the bathroom again. I don't know what else they do in locker rooms, I guess. They have drinks or snacks. I don't know. They're in the locker room. And you just forget. You miss, you miss your whole time around the, the, the track because you forget. And everyone else from the outside is like, you're an idiot. It's our race. It's our time. But for you, you're like, I had to go to the bathroom. And that's what sin does. It just makes it so about you that you just go and wander and do your own thing. Whatever it is, you go in the locker room. But it, we can't be in the locker room. We need to be on the track. It is our race. We prepare for running our race. In a long, and this is what it is. This life of faith, this building of the kingdom of God is a long race. We don't run our guts out for 100 meters. We trudge along with other people day in and day out. So we, we, have, to, uh, we have to realize the race isn't about us. We have to recognize we have to get rid of our sin or we're going to be on the sidelines. And the last thing we have to do, the author of Hebrews goes on and says this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So many of us are in the custom of, of having a faith life that our eyes are focused on the destination, on the completion, on us getting to this thing or this thing happening. But the picture of Scripture is our eyes are fixed on a person, not a destination. That makes every single day matter, every single day important, every single season of life the most important season of life because we are not waiting for this destination. We are fixing our eyes on this person. Every, uh, every now and then, Kay and I get the pleasure to do uh, premarital counseling with people. And it is so fun to be with people who are so in love. It's like they have Justin Bieber's CD playing nonstop in their head. They are so in love. They are so enamored. enamored. All they can do is they just, they just can't get enough of each other. They touch each other. They, it's so good. And Kay and I are like, hey, what's up? You know? And, um, it, but it's so encouraging. It warms our heart to be like, oh, that's what young love looks like. And we go, and we love to be a part of that whole deal. But there is this weird thing that happens. You go from, oh, I love you so good. Oh, you're, like you're all in it. To all of a sudden we're going, hey, let's get married. And then there's like this six-month window that happens where it's like, I know we're in love and we're really passionate. Life's all great. 
We're going to put that on hold because for the next six months, all we're going to talk about are um, wedding invitations, colors, bridesmaids, who sits where, what songs we're going to play, and where we're going on our honeymoon. And all of a sudden, for six whole months, this like, oh, I love you, all gets thrown out, and the destination becomes the whole thing. Everything is about the wedding. And we've seen so many couples get to the wedding and not even enjoy themselves because it's been such drudgery to get to that point. And then the wedding comes, and it's over, and then they haven't even spent six months being all, with each other. And now they're like, what do we do now? Right? And they have to like start all over again. And that is exactly what this life of faith is, is our eyes that are fixed on Jesus. Every moment, every season, every day, we are all in with him. And yes, there are destinations. Yes, there are markers. And we stop and we celebrate and we praise God for those things. But the day in, the day out, the waiting and whatever is not waiting. It is preparing. It is warming our heart towards Christ. It is building friendship with the people of God. It is doing the things that God has called us to do. So this Christmas, we are, we have a Christmas tree, we have Christmas presents, we have our Trader Joe's Advent uh, calendar. We have all that stuff, and we cannot wait. We're going to have some great presents on Christmas Day. But everything of those things, every step along the way, is an opportunity for us to talk with our kids and as a family go, what kind of family does God have for us? Who are people that we can bless? We draw up a list of 15 names, and we're going to bless these 15 families this, this month, and we're going to do that. And what are some presents that we can give away? And it's, what could we use with this money? Everything is a teachable moment. Because at the end of the day, Christmas will come and go. Christmas is done with in less than a month. But our family is our family, and we need to continue to work out the kingdom of God in our life, in our family, when Christmas is long gone. So this is a marker, and we're going to celebrate it. We're going to prepare for it. We're going to live fully into it. And by God's grace, some of that stuff actually carries on as we move on to the next seasons of our life. So Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when that marker happened. And this Christmas, I'm a strapping young 36-year-old, and you, well, are older and younger, some of you, right? But this is just a simple marker. It's a simple day where we go, God, you are alive, you love us, you've redeemed us, we have stuff to do for you, we're going to show up, and we're going to remember this day because you are alive and doing stuff. And then we're going to live into it. In the days it doesn't feel like it, we come back here and we get encouraged and we soak it up. In the days that we feel tons like it, um, we tell our story and encourage others. I'm going to invite the band up, and uh, we're going to sing one more song as we uh, gear up um, and continue this Advent deal.